Hey traders, welcome to another Performante podcast. This is uh, take two here. I unfortunately uh, fucked up the stream so uh, we couldn't get Nathan to uh, actually be heard, but we changed the settings, we got it to work. Uh, that was uh, my bad on that one. So, uh, so the topic of today is gonna be recessions and uh, I'll hand it over to uh, Nathan. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about the dirty R word that everyone's been saying recently. Uh, we're going to talk about what a recession looks like, what you can expect from a recession, how to pre prepare for a recession, and uh, the role that cryptocurrency plays within a recession. Uh, but before we get started and dive into the technicals, I just want to iterate that this is not financial advice. Uh, the Performante team does not have any professional financial training. We are not financial advisors. The information we present is experiential. Uh, we learn, we listen, we watch videos in our free time. We seek out as much information as possible, and we present it forward in an unbiased ma manner such that you can make your own choice. The decision you make should be your own. Yeah, definitely a very important uh, topic to discuss. Uh, Proper due diligence is very important and having information about a topic, especially investment uh, related, is very important. Um, I think this is a good time to talk about it because when there is a lot of volatility, a lot th there's many people who try to beat the market in a way and just say, oh, I, I, I assume that the market is going to do ABC without any real knowledge. And that is gambling, and that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to create a system uh, in a way that is a dependable, repeatable, systematic approach to uh, navigating the markets, and that's kind of what we're about. Exactly. We're just trying to provide the information for you to form the framework of your own decision. Uh, and with that in stride, uh, there's been a lot of volatility recently. Maybe you got burnt by the recent Robinhood outages. I know a lot of people couldn't make the trades they wanted to make or the orders weren't submitted. Uh, hopefully we found a solution for that. If you are a U.S. equities trader, uh, we have, we've become a Weeble affiliate. So if you do want to take advantage of this offer, you'll get two free stocks. Just navigate over to our website, performante.ca, same as our Instagram handle and click this free stocks button. Here you'll get taken to register for a Weeble account. Uh, you get one free stock for registering and you get another free stock for funding it with any amount of money. Uh, it doesn't look like the coupon wants to load unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, you get two free stocks. Uh, check them out. Commission-free trading for stocks, options, ETFs, bonds, um, and other features will be coming soon in 2020. Yeah, that'd be really interesting when crypto becomes available to there. Um, yeah, you can't really beat commission-free trading. Uh, that's a pretty phenomenal opportunity for sure, especially if the competitor is not really able to... Uh, uh, provide that uh, uh, the consistent uh, I, uh, service that uh, I guess Robinhood is is unable to do. I guess every four years because <laughs> of the leap year. But um, yeah, leap years get the best of them. <laughs> yeah, that's funny how that works. Um, but uh, I think our next topic 
uh, that's definitely a good intro. Uh, we will then now dive into the kind of meat of the podcast, which is going to be talking about recessions, which is uh, what Nathan pulled up right here. So this is the Investotopia definition of a recession. A recession is a macroeconomic term that refers to a significant decline in general economic activity in a designated region. Now, it's typically recognized after two consecutive quarters of economic decline, as reflected by GDP in conjunction with monthly indicators like employment. Recessions are officially declared in the U.S. by a committee of experts at the National Bureau of Economic Research. By the way, they're always late. They're, they're the last people to call it a recession out of everyone. Just saying. Uh, that determines the peak and subsequent trough of the business cycle, which demonstrates uh, the recession. So basically, it's just when the economic... Uh, cycle slows down. Uh, it's not a depression like we had in uh, back in the uh, 1930s, 40s, because there's a roaring 30s and the Great Depression in the 40s. But um, it's definitely something that I think is in like well, it's not. It's not something that I think it's inevitable, right? It's a business cycle. It ebbs and flows. It's because of having credit, right? If there was no credit, it would just be a, oh, what was it called? Uh, it's when there is, there's three business cycles. There's a long-term debt cycle, short-term debt cycle, and then there is the, give me one moment here. Uh, it's when there's, uh, the only growth that's only going to be coming is from uh, actually productivity growth. That's what it's called. So there's there's three, um, I guess, lines uh of, of, of different growth there is long-term debt cycle short-term debt cycle and then there's productivity growth and uh, if you didn't have credit you wouldn't have these ebbs and flows of recessions and these uh peaks and troughs as much or, or if ever but because there is credit which can be a good thing if you are borrowing money to grow your business for example if you're a farmer if you borrow money to purchase a tractor uh, so then you can grow more crops so then you can sell more and then you can pay off that tractor obviously credit is a great way to grow a business and grow an economy if it's used properly but if it's used improperly like buying goods that will not pay for its credit like buying a tv buying a car just for the sake of having a nice car um, th then credit is used improperly uh, to some degree or buying a house would be a proper use of credit if you're going to rent it out and all that stuff. So um, definitely something uh, to think about. Got a little bit off, uh, off target there in terms of the topic, but uh, that's, I just wanted to illustrate uh, what the Investitopia description of a recession is. So um, in that said, I think that the next topic is just to go over what even happens in a recession because a lot of people like don't really understand but all it is is going to be uh in short a slowdown in the exchange of goods and services within a particular economy and in some cases it is a global slowdown where it's not just a particular region like a particular country but it is a globally impacted slowdown in the economy uh, looking at you know all corners of the globe and we've had them before and it is looking like we are setting up for one upcoming uh, soon here because you see a lot of first world countries around the globe have uh, not much left in terms of ammo 
that the central banks have and we'll go over it uh, a little bit later on in the video or in the podcast but uh, they, they have a certain amount of uh, opportunity or things that they can do to try to stimulate the economy like for example they got two real things uh, they can decrease or lower interest rates or they could print money and they're, they're all, like globally look at how many countries are in negative interest rates so i don't really understand how people can be so bullish about yeah. the economy they can only do it so many times before there's very serious consequences for their actions we're very distanced from them because relatively the Canadian dollar is strong, the US dollar is strong, but in countries that don't have that same that same benefit, there's very real consequences to hyperinflation. But looking just more like in the everyday life, how a man or how a recession manifests, it's people are just spending less money. There's less downward movement of money, and so as a result, the people who normally receive that money, whether it be your local mechanic, your plumber, or any kind of uh, food service industry, those people are going to be receiving less money, so they spend less money. And so it's just a, a day-to-day decrease in transactions between anybody who could even participate in transactions. It's on everybody's mind. They need to reduce spending. They need to save. Things are unstable, et cetera, et cetera. It's a state of mind that people get into as from an investor standpoint. Yeah, it it's actually pretty crazy how similar people move. Like a, everyone thinks they're unique in a certain way, but a lot of people move in very predictable patterns, in a sense. Um, and in different experience levels in terms of investments, uh, people will act in different ways. But um, yeah, we, well, at least in my opinion, I, I do think that because of the internet, more people are prepared now than ever in any recession, any economic downturn that's ever played out in the past, which is great because you talk to people um, just randomly and, and they know that, yeah, there is there's some economic trouble ahead and, you know, I'm you know either hedging in gold or silver or, uh, yeah, I heard this thing about crypto. It, it, it's going to uh, have some sort of impact on potential monetary systems or uh, currencies or, or, you know, there's so many things that, Crypto obviously can disrupt and uh, really shake up, but when people are able to understand that just through the sure Google searching, um, that's really giving power to the people. And I hope obviously this podcast is kind of meant to maybe open up maybe a, a couple people's eyes as to the potential reality that we're facing instead of the... Um, well, not like picture perfect of, of the news obviously showing us what, what we're uh, not what we're what we shouldn't be seeing but um i do think that a lot of things are trying to be hidden or trying to be manipulated in a certain way like they have so many contradicting arguments and people who have difference of opinions for a reason it's because they want to make everyone confused oh is it bullish is it bearish let's have two people debate it and it's great having a debate no, no doubt but when you're unsure and when you hear two people debate, well, in my opinion, that just makes you even more unsure. Instead of having a unbiased explanation of the topic, you have two people yell at each other saying, this is right, that's right. That's not really any way to go about explaining 
what's occurring in the world, if that makes sense. Yeah, there's no hard and fast answer. Nobody's there's always so much so many inputs into what people perceive as the current market conditions that if somebody comes up to you on the streets and says, Hey, we're in a recession, you can't just say no and you can't just say yes. They're so, so true. That's why charts are so unbiased. That's why I love it, right? It it a chart cannot lie. Like and obviously you can say it's fake outs and you could say, Wow, wow, like the chart fucked me over. It, it lied to me. Which, to be honest, I felt like that at times in my life for sure. But um, yeah, that, that's why seeing the analytics, seeing the statistical data, in my opinion, is always going to be far superior than trying to read the news and, and be ahead of the curve by reading the news. Instead of trying to go about it that way, try to understand the underlying factors behind what's going on. So like, look at what the analysts are looking at instead of trying to listen to what the analysts are saying in a sense like cut out the middle man so you can create your own unbiased judgment as to what you think the economy is at in terms of health in terms of the cycle in the business cycle or in terms of even single investments right so yeah having your own opinion is is very important but um so i think we we're kind of done with the investopia uh so i think the next topic at hand is we're gonna go over a few different tools that we use to assess the health of the economy. The first one we're going to be looking at is the dynamic yield curve. Uh, we've definitely talked about this in the past. If you guys and girls don't know what this is, it's going to represent the yield, which is to the left here, for the different yields. Oh, I think you need to switch the video feed over. Oh, so for... Oh, no, we're good. Don't worry. Never mind. We're all right, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, awesome. My bad. Keep going. Yeah, that's all good. Uh, let me just get my page here. There we go. So this is the uh, dynamic yield curve. So we have the left side here, which is going to be the actual yield curve itself. And then we'll get into the details of that in a later video or in, in, in a later uh, part of the video. And then we're first gonna talk about what this is right here. This is gonna be the SPX or the S&P 500, which is an index that's going to represent the 500 largest companies in the United States. We see back in 2000, we had a major market crash, rallied back up. Again, 07, 08 market crashed and basically from 2000, started 2009 from where we currently are, it's been in a massive bull run. And then this red line that I'm dragging from left to right right now is going to be the exact date that we're looking at for the chart here that is representing the yields for each uh, bond. So this is the three month bond, the two year bond, the five year, the seven year, 10 year, 20 year, 30 year treasury bonds, T bonds, right? So normally we can see in a normal market, uh, the bonds that are the shorter time frame, the three month, two year, five year are going to have a smaller yield than the larger time frame bonds at the 20 20 year and 30 year. And we see most of the climb, most way all the way down. And then when we're at the lows here, we see that it's, it's a pretty healthy, what you call healthy, where the shorter term bonds are gonna have less yield than the larger term bonds. But when we look back and see the shift, we can see the shift occurring right now, 
the shorter term bonds, the three month and two year, have a larger yield than, for example, the seven year. And if we extend it out further, we can see that the three month has higher yield than any other time frame bond. Now, in, in a normal situation, if you're going to give your money to someone for a longer period of time, you would want a higher yield. It makes sense. You're giving up your money for a longer period of time. You want more money for it. In this situation, the investors are worried about the long-term outlook of the market, so they want a higher yield at a shorter time frame. It is not normal. It's inverse. You see that the yield at the shorter time frame is higher, creating a downslope to the right side compared to basically every other time where the downslope is to the left side. So that is what you're looking for in a uh, inverse dynamic yield curve. That's what basically you, people are talking to. Base, same thing in 2000, you see the yield curve normal and then you see basically right at the top there, it's inverted. You see the two year T-bond has more yield, has a higher yield than any other bond that's greater, five year, seven year, 10 year, 20 year, 30. And then what we're seeing right now, so that's 2000 and we went over 2008. And then what we're currently seeing right now is you saw the climb back up, you saw where they had artificially low interest rates, uh, it's fixed right at the low here from basically that break all the way up. And then when they started to lift the interest rates at 2016 right here, finally started to interest rate, uh, raise interest rates. Uh, we can see raising, raising, raising. And then we started to see a tipping point. Now we're seeing the three month higher than the two year, five year and the seven year. So we're seeing a bit of a tipping point at this. Uh, stage and then as we can go further now the three month is higher than even the 10 year not the 20 year yet and then as we can go further we are getting a little bit of flattening and now we got a massive drop in interest rates uh, basically across the board we see we can see it's steady steady and then we got a massive drop boom we can see that right here big drop recently so we'll just quickly talk about this when you're going to have a fixed income asset, or if you're going to invest in something, something, look at how much money you're getting as a fixed income asset. You can't, it, it's so, it would be so hard to live off this if your, uh, if your fixed income interest rate is like 0.3 or like 1% a year. You can't really live off that. So what do you do as an investor to try to grow your portfolio? Well, A, you have to invest in more speculative investments, right? Because uh, fixed income clearly will not give you sufficient returns in order for you to grow your capital. So you're going to have to go into more risky equity or equity type investments in order to try to attain that alpha, that 7, 8%. And it's been working. We're in, we're in a massive bull run since 2009. But if that shifts, well, then there's a lot of people in equities um, so it, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens to say the least. Um, yeah, re recessions are not pretty, uh, like in the, uh, movie, the big short, every time the unemployment increases by 1%, 40,000 people die or something along the lines of that. Right. Uh, I forget the exact quote, but, um, for every winner, there's a loser. And in these kinds of situations, yeah, the ultra-rich people are losing billions of dollars per day. 
like Jeff Bezos lost seven billion dollars overnight. Like, yeah, that sucks, but he can cry in his mansion while other people like lose their jobs, can't afford mortgages, et cetera, et cetera. Like, there's two sides to every coin. Yeah, that's the that's the tough part. But then, like for example, the stuff that we posted on TikToks, and people say, "Oh, you're doom and gloomers or whatever." Uh, a, they're is going to be a recession it is inevitable you can't have a forever expansion it does not exist people have tried you, it's just it's impossible you can't just have a forever expansion you can't forever hold your it take more and more breaths like anything the market has to breathe right so um it, it is a natural part of the cycle and the sooner you are or sooner someone is able to accept it and then embrace it the sooner you are able to potentially capitalize on it because uh yeah recessions are probably one of the best opportunities for people to leapfrog from uh not one status but like from one certain wealth class to another in a sense like if you're able to capture that swing that transfer of wealth that can be completely life-altering yeah, 100%. Like, there's a very real opportunity ahead of us. But I just wanted to plug our blog real quick. We've been posting on our digital finance blog. And if you did want to learn more about these things that we're talking about, like the Federal Reserve cutting rates, how to prepare for a recession, et cetera, et cetera, you can find this on our website. And it's just another way that you could further your knowledge if you do want to learn more about the subject. Definitely, yeah. Uh some really good reads there for sure um i think did, did you want to go into any of them or did you want to go into uh, should we dive into some ta yeah for sure I was, I was gonna say that next so let's uh for sure let's go into some ta here oops let's just go here duplicate first chart we are going to be looking at is going to be the spx which is the uh s p 500 the 500 largest companies uh, it's an index, so we're going to go all the way back to the monthly chart. Now, as we can see, let's go like this on the log chart. We can see we've been on a monumental roar from basically 1971. We saw a massive move to the upside, and we saw the huge bull run from 1994 all the way up to... 2000, April of 2000, uh, over 240% move, and then we got a correction, right? So they're normal. And then we got our key level of resistance initially, and then we had the dot-com bust, which was from basically September 01, and then the low was in August of 01, and then from the lows there, we climbed all the way back up to the recent highs. As we can see right here, basically we hit the exact same high. And then 2008, we double topped, as we can see. And then we fell very, very significantly over 52% at the lows there. We had a pretty speedy recovery. Now, this was due to two things. One thing was artificially low interest rates. They dropped interest rates to near zero and kept them there for five, six years. I think it might have been seven. I think it was until 2016 when they started raising interest rates. Uh, so they 
had artificially low interest rates, and they implemented three series of quantitative easings, which is basically, uh, put it, to put it simply, quantitative easing is printing money out of thin air and buying financial assets uh, within the marketplace, uh, buying uh, equities, bonds, uh, you name it, major financial assets, and they're trying to stimulate the economy uh, by just basically printing money and buying uh, stocks and bonds. So, you know, just basically massively growing the balance sheet. And that's how they got the stock market to rally back up so quickly is they lowered interest rates. So it really, really tried to stimulate the economy through uh, ease of borrowing and lending. So then if you're a borrower, sorry, if you're a, if you're a borrower, if you want to borrow money, uh, you're able to do it very, very cheaply. So then it tries to stimulate business activity. If you're a business, you'll try to borrow money because there's lower interest. So then you can spend your money uh, on growing the business. So then obviously that's good for the economy. And then that also in line with just money printing, buying financial assets, making the stock market go up, uh, making people feel richer because their stocks are going up. Uh, that obviously, like we talked about with Nathan, uh, the feeling of being, uh, being richer, seeing your portfolio increase in value, seeing that appreciation will make you feel richer. You'll want to go out more. You'll maybe want to buy that new car. You'll maybe want to buy that nice shirt that you saw. You'll maybe want to go on that vacation. You'll maybe want to do all these things that is providing money and providing uh, an exchange of goods and services to other people, which is their payment and their uh, earnings. So then they get more money and the whole system gets circulated and, and you know obviously that's how an economy grows so um to get back to it that's that's why we got that massive massive surge in volume and what we're seeing right now is is a pretty well top right so if we're just talking about market structure uh, in terms of distance here we can see from the low here to the high around a hundred percent right from the mid-range zone the previous resistance to the high, right, is around 100%, right? Around 100%, right around here. So just structurally speaking, that, that's pretty damn similar, right? We could go like this, right? That was a low that we, that we went off of. We're gonna define that a little bit more, right? That's the low that we went off of for the 100%. Now, doesn't that look like such a nice market structure high? Well, I'm pretty sure it does, in my opinion, because we see a nice even zone. And I'm sure if we got another area to go 100% uh, below, it'd probably line up with the key zone as well. So uh, we're not going to 100% say, yes, this is guaranteed to be a recession, but uh, just looking at some ascending zones, like we're not going to dive too deep into it, but we're just trying to give an illustration, trying to look at the larger macro view of what's happening here. You're seeing these ascending zones. This is a very large ascending zone we can see. It started all the way from up here, right? This zone right here. So if you're looking at the larger view, it doesn't seem crazy, right? You're getting, that was a little bit wild, just quickly just talking about it, you know, you're getting an ascending zone that is holding a price, making a higher lows, it breaks. Now we start making lower lows and lower highs. Same thing. You're seeing higher lows, higher lows, holding an ascending trend line. Once you get 
you know, five or six touches of a trend line, at least four, then you know it's a dependable zone. It breaks, pulls back, retests, makes a lower high, making lower lows and lower highs. Might want to manage your risk. You never know. Like, I understand if you're long-term holding, 100%. If you're willing to hold for the next 40 years, don't sell. 100 I, I commend you for never selling your stock and only living off of the dividends I commend you for that. But if you are a person who wants to, I don't know, use their investment within the next two, three, four, even five years, the drawdown on this pullback will be significant. The drawdown from 08 to the high was five and a half years. Now this, you can expect, would be probably something similar, if not more, because the... Uh, the central banks just don't have as much ammunition. They were able to lower interest rates when the price dipped so then the stock market could rally. They were able to uh, print shit tons of money. Can they do that again? Will that hyperinflate the US dollar? Who knows? We might see. And, and they they do know that is a severe consequence if they just print the US dollar to oblivion. So we're, we're in a tough place. Uh, I'm not going to dive in too much uh, with the charts here. I just thought that looking at the monthly, not looking at the tiny, tiny one hour, 15 minute, five minute, even one minute timeframes, looking at the monthly, looking at the weekly gives you a much better overview of the overall structure of the macro view. And right now we can see we're not making lower lows and lower highs on the monthly timeframe. Right now, uh, we're not seeing that, right? We're seeing this is a low. This is the previous major low at 27.46. We can see back in 2008, we were making a, high, a higher lows and this was a, a, a lower high. And then we saw another lower low. We saw a, a low, a lower high, a lower low and a lower high. You're seeing lower lows and lower highs. You're breaking ascending zones. You're breaking supports, holding resistances. Same exact structure here. You have a nice ascending zone. One, two, three, four. So the dependable zone because you have four areas where the price is touching. And then you start seeing lower lows and lower highs. You know, you could save yourself a significant amount of money here if you're able to just manage risk. And I, like I say it again, if you're a long-term investor, it totally makes sense. But if you're thinking about using the capital in the next two, three, four, five years, it makes sense to manage risk. So same thing here. You need to see a lower low formation. Ideally, you're looking for a break around this zone. So once you're able to see that lower low, and if it breaks and holds the lower low, and if it breaks the uh, ascending zone, horizontal zone, and then it's able to hold the lower high, holding a previous resistance support as a new resistance, then obviously you're going to have a bias to the downside. So we'll keep everyone updated on this. We'll go over the S&P 500, but um, I, I don't want to make people fearful. But as a technical trader, this just seems like another one of those or another one of those. Um, so... I'm not going to dive in too much more. I, I could talk about this all day. Obviously, love talking about the charts, but um, hopefully that gave you a little bit more insights. Yeah, it's uh, from a technical standpoint, it is definitely intimidating. But in the same note, it's an opportunity, right? Because this is a transfer of wealth. There are going to be rich people getting poorer. There's going to be discounted equities. There's a lot of opportunity that comes with a recession if you can put yourself in the right position. 
And the principal way you can do that is you have cash on hand and you have cash flow. Like Grant Cardone says, cash flow is all that matters. You need to have an ability to capitalize on these on these opportunities around the market in order to actually make a play from a recession. Like you can't make any money if you're a broke boy in a recession, so to speak. So <laughs> Truth. that you really got to formulate ways that you can be able to invest, whether online side hustles, you have a good job, get educated, do whatever you need to do to make money. But proper planning and even better proper execution can and will change your life if you do it right. Yeah, 100%. That is, you, you couldn't have said it better. And it, it, it's not easy, right? It, it, it takes a level of discipline and commitment to start saving money if you're working hourly. If you're working at a job that doesn't pay you uh, significant amounts of money if you're young, it, it takes a level of commitment and discipline. And it also takes, uh, what I found is a lot of uh, uh, delayed gratification where you know you want that item now, but you would rather use that money to trade it, to invest it, to grow it, and then... Uh, it, it, it's not, uh, it's not for the faint of heart, but, uh, delayed gratification, discipline, um, and, and just being always seeking knowledge in terms of how to A, improve yourself and B, learn more about what you're trying to, what you're trying to know more about. For example, in the financial markets, you gotta always be consistently trying to think, how do I not, not even get better, but, uh, how do I broaden my knowledge in a way that will help me in my lifetime? Not just how do I get this quick stock, you know, as, as a quick stock pick to make 50 bucks for the day or whatever your goal is. Instead of looking at a short term, like take a step back and think, okay, I have one life and I want to be financially free in this one life. How, what information do I need in my life to make that happen and approach it through those means instead of thinking how do i make a quick buck how do i make a quick thousand dollars how do i set up my knowledge base and my knowledge bank in a way that allows me to navigate the markets to capitalize on these situations and it takes a lot of time but um yeah having people around you that have similar uh goals is is very important that's kind of why we have our discord is is like I, I, I didn't have that many people uh, to, to really have that discussion with really. So then uh, obviously with Performante and in the team, I've gotten to a point where I talk about this very frequently with the team as well as our students. Uh, but um, yeah, if you are interested in this sort of information, if you feel like you'd like to know more, but you'd like to kind of have a discussion uh, even before diving in because obviously there's a lot of questions that come with it. Um, we are always open for that conversation. Anytime, every time. Our Discord's always open. We love to chat. There's a, a lot of different perspectives on the Discord and a lot of different types of traders, so it's always good to get an alternate perspective if you ever do have a question. Uh, but that comes into that calls it into question how do exactly do you capitalize on a recession like what are the strategies you need to be implementing um in the wise words of warren buffett be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful uh, i guess what he's insinuating here is that you need to go against what the rest of the market thinks if people are thinking recession 
you need to be buying. If the market's reaching all-time highs, you need to be selling. It's that kind of mentality of playing one step ahead that can really get you ahead because if you've been a long-term investor and you are not holding for 40 years and you've rolled and you rid the bull market to 3300 on the SPX and you didn't sell it's uh you you put you put yourself in a very interesting predicament by doing that because if you're not willing to hold your equities your investments for long periods of time but you're not willing to sell them what are you doing with them because there are lots of ways that you can use that excess cash excess profit in a recession those are the that's the primary way that you can capitalize on a recession right totally 100 percent. yeah you need money to make money that's the investments just multiplying whatever you have in a sense of, of just capital um so yeah like like i said before it's uh, it may not it, like for people who are just working like normal job just kind of like if, i know we have a younger audience if you're still in high school or going into college and um, or university and, and you're working a normal job like it's it it takes discipline but um, you will thank yourself because every single person who has grinded put their goals and ambitions in front of materialistic short-term objects that will be inhibiting them from actually gaining um, a level of success that they're wanting um, is is a sacrifice and it just is something that uh, people who want to see success have to basically have to live uh, live through is having sacrifice time and money as well like for example if you're spending a lot of time on something uh, it is is definitely another risk as well so um, I think the, the best way to, to go about it if you are an, a complete novice um, a great, great first step would be to understand what dollar cost averaging is. Uh, and, and what is dollar cost averaging? All it is is purchasing or investing a certain amount of money every single week, bi-weekly, monthly, quarterly, whatever it is. But you set aside a percentage of your income or a dollar value that you don't care if the market is going up, down, doesn't matter. You're going to, let's say, invest $100, $1,000 a month into, for example, the S&P 500 index, uh, whatever you're investing in, in BTC. But uh, being able to stick to this regimen and stick to this system allows you to not get the market swings and get emotional by making wrong choices if the market drops you might sell which is not the right choice if you're just in a trending market um so being able to dollar cost average if you're a novice investor i think is a great way to start entering into the market it removes emotion from the equation and just allows pure statistical efficiency to take over from your investment you don't have to worry about it should i buy in now should i buy in later make it scheduled remove emotion simple as that but that also calls into question what you should be in dollar cost averaging into so in situations like this a lot of analysts will talk about asymmetric non-correlated assets that's a buzzword and what that means, uh, asymmetric means that it has good risk reward. Generally, it goes up in time. So right now, up on the screen, we've got gold pulled up. And so the other part of it is non-correlated. Well, non-correlated to what? 
non-correlated to the rest of the market. Meaning, if you were to look at like the S&P, Dow Jones, etc., etc., gold in this case is not correlated. They don't move in the same fashion, and you can't expect them to be in similar market cycles. Not perfect, but don't really get uh, a really good comparison. What if we try SPY? No, it's not really a, a great comparison. I guess you can kind of look at it in that sense. I think that's a better comparison right there. You can also add silver in there. Yeah, let's do that. Compare. Whoa. Silver is definitely a lot more volatile. There we go. So I think... Uh, it would definitely be safe to say that they're definitely uncorrelated. Gold and silver obviously are going to be very correlated because they're same precious metals. They're not going to be directly correlated. But um, I'm just going to take this off and then compare silver first. So then it's at the top and then we will do SPY. And then go log. Okay, the SPY is still there. But regardless, um, we can see that there's definitely not a real correlation between precious metals and the S uh, in the S&P 500. And it, it, they're well known for that, and that's why people go and try to invest in them when there is uh, economic instability within the market. Um, and what a lot of people are speculating now is that crypto and especially bitcoin is like digital gold it's gold 2.0 uh, there is going to be a fixed supply like gold there is uh, you know unless you are you do get massive gold uh, pockets that has happened before but overall there is a a, a pretty general uh, good amount of supply that is coming into the market at a pretty reasonable rate unlike the fiat currency that we're currently seeing so uh, there's a lot of comparable situations that we're seeing with gold and crypto but i think one thing that we do have to consider is the fact that if you're actually looking at gold as an asset not looking at it as a asset that you can back a certain currency with or even a cryptocurrency with but uh, gold in itself is not very a fungible and it's not very transportable so in terms of using it as money it's not really amazing um it holds value very well which is great but in terms of being able to transact with it like let's say you wanted to buy a car and the car was you know like you know like some amount of gold and you had uh 20 ounces of gold well how you how you, are you gonna heat it melt it down, chip it to the exact amount needed, and then give it to him. That's, that's not going to work, right? So then, you know, introduction to BTC, well, then you got a fixed supply. You got a, a, a amount of 20, you have 21 million. That's all there is going to be, period, end of story. So um, this chart is BLX. This is the longest running chart on trading view that we have of Bitcoin. And then as you can see, from 2011, we basically went up over 9,000%, I think it was. I can't even see, 14 million percent, I think it is. One, two, three, one, two, three. 14.4 million-ish percent from 
October 2010 until basically now. Um, so, you know, if you're talking about looking back at historic price action, well, why would you not want to have a part of, have a part of this? doesn't make sense to me why <laughs> people think it's a stupid investment um like look at the lows not the highs people exactly it, 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 even looking at the retracements like yeah they're, they're pretty significant retracements 79 percent from the high of maybe 18 19k to the low of 32 83 percent but like the extent that look at the like the higher highs and higher lows and we're growing significantly and and just bringing this all together with what we've already talked about with uh the global health in terms of economics not looking great look at how many countries are in negative interest rates look at germany look at switzerland look at japan uh look at denmark there's so many countries that are already in negative interest rates trump has already talked about either zero or negative interest rates so uh it just Seems like everything is coming to get, unfortunately saying coming together because uh, talking about and discussing recessions can be a little depressing for people who are looking at the long-term scope, especially if you're talking about potentially losing a job or whatnot. Um, but at the, oops, but at the end of the day, uh, it, it's an opportunity for people and that's what we're trying to provide is, is unbiased opinion and an explanation of why we think the outcome is going to turn out the the way we think we do and and to keep it very short we think that there's going to be an economic recession uh globally not just the u.s uh even in parts like japan china australia europe is already suffering japan's already in a uh, deflationary spiral china is seeing a lot of uh, challenges recently obviously with the coronavirus and the u.s as well so we do think that there's going to be uh, some level of a recession in the, in the short-term future and with btc poised to see the btc having uh is in a current position where there is a lot of interest as a safe haven asset uh cryptocurrencies including bitcoin have never been better uh in a position to see that demand from not just retail but also institutional money so i'll turn it over uh to nathan to wrap it up here yeah there's a lot of different factors in play recession seems like it's starting we're just trying to integrate the technical factors into a cohesive manner so that you can make your own opinion because like we said at the very beginning you should be doing your own research and integrating data from as many sources as possible through what you think is valid because you need to develop your own understanding and that's something we firmly believe in and that's something that we practice with all our students yes performante premium is an option to earn while you learn but we advocate that everyone goes to the materials that we provide goes to the video lessons the pdfs because before you get involved in any financial market you need to understand what you are getting involved in failing to do so is pretty negligent uh, and that goes true with even all this recession talk like you shouldn't be blindly following strangers advice online um, you need to build your own understanding because it's a complex world out there not everyone always has your best interest at heart besides us because we just provide the <laughs> reputable information already shall we end it there yeah, I think that was a that was a great ending to uh, to over, overall great podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you everyone for 
listening. If you have any questions about the information that we did go over within this podcast, uh, please drop a comment within the comment section below. What I will do is put within the com or within the description box or whatever you call it, I will put links to some of the information that we did talk about uh, looking at dynamic yield curves. Also, I will put in some uh, links to uh, just some simple stuff like looking at the graph or the chart for velocity of money, uh, the balance sheet for the Fed, all that stuff. So I will incorporate that. So uh, thank you very much for listening. And uh, until next time, have a good one.